Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. My guest today is Andrew Austin, Senior Manager of Fraud Technology for CarMax. Andrew is a regular listener of Fraudology, and he often provides helpful and supportive feedback to help improve this podcast, and I am always so grateful when he does. He previously stopped by in March earlier this year for a two-part episode to talk about his transition from anti-money laundering and banking to e-commerce fraud strategy, what they had in common, what was different. It was really fascinating. And then he also talked about navigating the complex world of fraud vendor selection. You also may have noticed his new hobby of creating relatable fraud memes on LinkedIn. If you don't yet follow him, I made sure to add a link to his profile in today's episode notes so it's easy to find. Recently, Andrew realized that the last 20 years of his career have all been focused on anti-crime and threat detection, even though they were in some very different ways for different entities. And that led to some great reflections and epiphanies that I asked him to share on the podcast. So today, Andrew and I will be talking about something that I think any fraud fighter can and will relate to in some way. What led to him becoming a fraud fighter? What motivates him most in this important role? And he'll also share some of the growth points that have occurred throughout his journey so far. And he'll talk about his motivations and reasons for fighting crime, how they've evolved and why they've changed over the years. He'll also talk about how gaining clarity on his own mission and purpose over the years has helped him to identify his own career goals and priorities. And then how learning the goals and motivations of others has provided clarity in who he wants to work with not only to help define the kinds of companies and people that he wants to align with, but also has helped him hire new employees on his team and even select the right vendor partners for the long term. As you listen to what Andrew has discovered about himself and his overall purpose in our industry, I really hope you'll be inspired to identify your own personal mission statement for now and for the future you. Because as Andrew will share, this can become your guiding force in your current role and the positions you hold in the future. And as important as it is to learn about new fraud trends and technology, I also created this podcast to help fraudologists gain new perspectives and clarity in all areas, even our personal development. But first, I asked Andrew to share a story he recently shared with me that I know will bring smiles to anyone's face today, especially if you are or will soon be a fraud fighting parent. So here's my conversation with Andrew Austin, Senior Manager of Fraud Technology for CarMax. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Andrew Austin, I am so happy to have you back on Fraudology. So good to be back, Harice. How are you? I'm pretty good. We uh, have talked about this for quite a while, uh, but you know, life is busy for us fraud fighters, as we know. And the last time you were here, it was right before uh, your first Merchant Risk Council conference in Vegas, uh, where I did get to meet you in person. And then, um, and we, you know, talked about 
a little bit about your career path and also vendor overwhelm and all of that. But would love to start with just what you've been up to since then. It's almost been six months. That's crazy. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what have I not been up to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I won't recap all of MRC, but MRC Vegas was great. Since then, my wife had a baby. So we welcomed our third child into the world, our third boy. So thank you. <laughs> any of any of you out there that have multiple children that are all the same same gender, uh, it's um, it's been a lot of fun. Let's see. Uh, right before that, I ran a marathon. So run a marathon, have a kid, you know, new job, all this kind of fun stuff. It's been busy. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> my summer doesn't sound very all kinda, <laughs> like I've done much at all. <laughs> it just kind of all blends together after you have three kids. So you, you don't know what you're doing from one day to the next. Well, that and just the normal sleep deprivation, you know, with having a newborn, whether it's your first newborn or your third. I mean, I'm sure at this point you guys are pros right but you have 300 as pros you can be right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah potty training one uh diapers on the other and we're hopefully past it we're in pre-k with the with the oldest one now so it's always uh always something new they keep us on our feet uh keep us on our toes every day well so speaking of you know your oldest i know that he recently asked you what you do for your job and i loved your answer so much that I asked you to share it on the podcast. And I think a lot of parents will appreciate it because I mean, you heard when my daughter, you know, who's now 19 came on, like she first thought that I caught frogs. And then she thought that I was like battling bad guys on the internet. And it was so much more exciting than what we really do. So um, would love to hear. I feel like I could just do a whole episode of people sharing that part. But Oh, you absolutely could. Because kids, uh, they say the darndest things, right? They but, do. No. And sometimes us parents have to really pull something out of our back pocket to try to answer those. You do. So for, I don't know, for about two years or so, my, my oldest has told me, like he just came up this one day. He said, um, I was dropping him off at school and he said, or at daycare. And he says, um, are you going to go dig spiders, daddy? I said, dig what? Spiders. <laughs> dig spiders. Yeah. He said, if you could dig spiders. I said, what? He says, yeah, you know, that's what you do. You dig spiders. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. I you know, drop them off. Right. And then the, the next day he asked me again, he said, Are you going to dig spiders? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I guess over time he just uh, came to the, uh, he has this idea in his head that my job is to dig spiders. So it's, it's you know, several times a week he's asked me if I'm digging spiders. And I, I'm just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> So he asked me the other day what, um, if I'm going to dig spiders. And I thought, you know, he's he's four and a half or so. He's he's just he's old enough to kind of understand some new concepts. So I said, no, I, I don't dig spiders for my job. And he said, what do you do? And I said, well, um, I I stop bad people from stealing cars. And he says, oh, well, why would people steal cars? I said, well, they're expensive and not everyone has money for them, and some bad people want to get an expensive car without paying for it. Oh, I could tell he wasn't wasn't really clicking with him. <laughs> he didn't right. really understand. <laughs> you know, he he watches this show called uh, Spidey and his amazing friends, and it's Spider Man and there's Ghost Spider and Spin, which is the other spider. I'm seeing a theme here, by the way, with spiders, right? Like yeah, maybe that's why I dig spiders. <laughs> but in the show, they they. You know, they're like adolescent Spider-Man that go around and stop bad guys. So in one of the episodes, there's this bad guy. His name is Rhino. And he's got this really nasally terrible voice. And I'm not going to try to do that on the air. <laughs> on. Uh, but his name's Rhino. And he, he goes around stealing things. And in one of the episodes, takes green paint. And he paints his whole body to look like the Incredible Hulk. 
because the Incredible Hulk is one of Spidey's amazing friends. So he paints himself green and he goes around stealing things and Spidey and the Incredible Hulk ultimately stop him. That's not why you've tuned into Fraudology today to know the synopsis of this episode. But I said, what I do, I said, some people are like Rhino. You know, that episode where he painted himself like the Incredible Hulk and he went around stealing things. He said, oh, that's interesting. I said, yeah. I said, some people... Uh, some people do that. They may not paint themselves, but they'll disguise themselves. So, you know, if, if the Incredible Hulk comes to me and says, Daddy, he's not going to call me Daddy, but <laughs> Andrew, uh, I'd like to borrow your car. I'd probably lend the Incredible Hulk my car because he's a good guy. I would trust him. At the end of the day, he's going to bring my car back. But Rhino comes up to me. If he is painted like the Hulk and has disguised himself, I might think, oh, that's the Incredible Hulk and give him my car. And then afterwards, I realize, oh, that was Rhino. He's a bad guy. He's not going to bring my car back. And he says, oh, yeah. Do you stop him with the Hulk smash or the thunder clap? <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm not the Hulk in this story, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I stop him with a computer, maybe. But, right. Uh, yeah, I said, well, what's your superpower? And I said, well, I guess if I have a superpower, it is that I am able to recognize when Rhino comes up and tries to take my car. So it, it at that point, it kind of clicked with him. Like, he still kind of thinks I have a superpower, which is fine, I guess. <laughs> I think we all do. I've started to get okay with my own superpowers. I always see, you know, other people's superpowers, but like, you know, they may not be the Hulk smash, but we do right. all have it's, superpowers. <laughs> exactly. It's part of our branding, right? Our personal right. brand. Right. But, our personal yeah, brand, put, yes. I'll put that in my header on LinkedIn, uh, Hulk smash. <laughs> but yeah, you can see it kind of click with him. And you know, I saw some other posts on LinkedIn this week where there were some fellow fraud fighters with no, kids that are not that much older that are, you know, hey, you know, I want to do what you do when you're older. I want to take over your company or something. Yeah. I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh -huh. Yep, I saw that one too. Yeah. It was just really neat. And, you know, teaching them from a young age that, I mean, you know, we as parents all want to teach our kids good versus bad, but, you know, teaching them what you do that you're, you're not only, you know, stopping bad people, but you're protecting good people in the world as well, I think is, is, is very important. And they pick up on those themes very young. And, you know, I hope us as fraud fighters today are raising the next generation of fraud fighters as well. I hope so too. I mean, we all know that mine wants nothing to do with it, probably because she's heard it so much in the house since I've been working from home for the last nine years or so. But um, you know, everyone's different. But if not, that is their career, at least, you know, with the basics of understanding safety. I mean, my daughter went to her first music festival a few weeks ago at uh, a large outdoor venue in Washington State. And she realized pretty quickly that the friend she was with did not have a fraud fighter as a mom, like did not have a mom that taught her to not, you know, to, to be a little skeptical of people's, you know, their uh, intentions, their motivations, right? their intentions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that not everything is what they say it is. And to think about your safety and all that. So, you know, whether it's online or in person, it's always a balance, right, of not wanting to scare them too much or tell them everything. And I think I love the fact that, you know, you really found a way to tailor it to his age and to what he understands. And, you know, it shows that you are watching Spidey and Friends with him. You're not just putting <laughs> it in front of. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've, I've watched all of them way too many times. But, um, yeah, 
and I, I figure if he doesn't have a uh, a future as a superhero or a fraud fighter, he could always um, go into memes or something. You know, I think that might be a, a <laughs> right. So I was actually going to segue that because one of your superpowers I've noticed, and I kind of uh, well, I mean, I, you really bailed me out of a jam a few weeks ago for sure, and I paid you for that superpower glad, uh, and then I encouraged you and said, "Hey, that's a superpower." I don't, you don't realize it, but it really is. Is creating fraud memes. I think I'm too old to think in memes or to create memes. I definitely learned that when I had a client for a presentation ask me to include several memes in my presentation. I, I didn't even know where to start, but I remembered that you've done that. So I when you when you asked me to explain them to you because you just I don't know what the I don't know what the template is. I don't know what the context is here. What <laughs> on one of them you said can you tell me why this is funny? Yeah, <laughs> well, I did. I still here's what yeah. it means. Like I, you'll just have to trust me that it's funny. <laughs> I know, and I'm only like six years older than you, but gosh darn it, it is like a whole other generation. So <laughs> it's like I've started to own kind of being old, especially now that I have it. You know, an adult who tells me I'm old all the time as a child. Like I'm not on Instagram or anything like that. So for me, I don't understand the concept of some of them or like the yeah so i'm like why is what does this mean why is it funny but most of them i get but um you know uh memes are funny because um typically you have a lot of stuff in pop culture that like you have a broad group of people that are going to understand this right this is a very i'm making some very esoteric content here like there is not a a a broad group of people that understand this at all so to take something you you kind of have to take something that everyone gets and then break that down and understand the theme and then put (laughs) put uh you know a a message in there that speaks to fraud as well right yeah it's a skill it's been fun you know i i don't know how long that will stay up Um, oh i think a lot of people appreciate it i mean because i really (laughs) encouraged you when i told you like hey i think you should post more of these on linkedin they're pretty funny um and you were i think you said exactly that like yeah because there's only like a few thousand people in the world that would get it and i said yeah exactly but those few thousand people are going to feel seen right because there isn't usually content for us because most people don't understand it or don't have the point of view so uh and it i think it's been good for conversations i know so of course i'm encouraging of you keep doing it but i know that there's also you know it's caused more conversations, you know, both with people in the industry and also people that want to sell you things. And maybe that might be, <laughs> maybe that's taking uh, up too much time. <laughs> no, no. I think, you know, if, if you are on like the banking merchant side, like if you post anything on, on social media, there's going to be people reach out to you and say, haha, I loved your content or that was really thoughtful or I hadn't thought of it that way before. I like the way you said this, this, this. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about my product that you would like to buy? So, I mean, I think that's going to happen regardless. I'm not, <laughs> that's not concerning to me. Like I did, I, I posted something about uh, vendors that um, I think 99% of the feedback was like, ah, yeah, I really like this or this is funny. And then one person that absolutely did not like it. And, and let me guess, like, you know they weren't a merchant, right? They were probably on the they vendor side. Yeah. No, they were not. But you know, it's just, I, I am, I want to be cognizant <laughs> when I post things that I'm not being purposely like poking at different people. So just trying to be thoughtful as I, as I post things going forward. Yeah. You know, the, the very first one that I, I posted I, after you told me like, Hey, you should do this. I posted it. And like, you know, if you post things on LinkedIn, you like, you see like the engagement 
<laughs> like how many, um, I don't know what they call it now. How people read your, your post, right? How many, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. How many read it or see it or, and it was like, it was seen by like 60 people. And I was like, Oh, thanks. Thanks for encouraging this. <laughs> Nothing gets you, but you know, well, it was to like, be fair, oh, well, I was, I, yeah, that was when I was traveling. And so, cause I always try to, whenever I, well, I haven't been on it as much as I like to be, but whenever I see anyone create unique content in our industry, um, you know, and the purpose is just to share information or, you know, share a thought or a perspective. I always try to interact with it because I know that other people will see it and I want to encourage that. So I, yeah. Think- and I don't, I don't think this was because you didn't interact with it. I think it was just, you know, LinkedIn's algorithms, right. what they want. And after I posted a couple, it, the engagement went way up and like, there's, there's one, I think like verbal memes are terrible, but it was, uh, I won't even go into it, <laughs> but you know, it got like 15,000 views or, or people reacting to it. It was, um, it was good. It started a lot of conversations. I think it was something I actually got a, a, a couple messages from, from women uh, that were in fraud that were like, Oh, thank you for posting this. You know, it's long overdue that we say something about kind creepy of people at dudes. conferences. I'll say it. <laughs> at conferences. Yeah. I'll so say it. That, yeah. That was, uh, and I didn't even really think about it that way. Like I, I was really posting it like this dude really likes fraud, you know, and like he, like one of the hashtags I think was like, no, he really wants to talk about orchestration. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> It goes about like going to a conference, right. And like how people act and you know, some people can be creepy. <laughs> yeah. And the purpose of it wasn't like, Hey, look at this creepy dude. It was like, right. we're a bunch of nerds. Yes. And this guy's at a party at two o'clock in the morning at a conference, like telling someone else like, Hey, we use like 9,000 fraud vendors and we stop all the fraud. And it kicked off a conversation around, you know, different people can interpret these different ways. And when someone that is being like actually hit on by someone that uses those kinds of that kind of language. It's like, Oh, I didn't really think about that when I posted it or when I created it. So glad the, glad the conversation's going. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other people business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So 
If you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. So that kind of goes full circle and not, I mean, we were actually just talking about, uh, you know, before recording about how my interview style kind of throws you off as a guest. Sometimes it can throw my guests off because they're like, wait, this isn't what we said we were going to talk about, but kind of goes a little bit full. So here I go. Um, No, it kind of brings it full circle though, because the reason why I knew that you have this gift and talent of creating memes, you know, thinking of a situation in fraud and then, you know, thinking of a pop culture meme to go with it was actually because of an experience with someone that was, you know, hitting on me at MRC at a late night party. And so, and what they said was, you know, very odd to me. And uh, I was just joking with you like, what? And so you, you know, replied back in a meme. And that was what I remembered when I was like, banging my head up against the wall being like, I want to always go above and beyond any engagement I have for a client. And, you know, their request was to put more memes into my my slide deck. Okay, I want to try but it's not like when you Google fraud memes, there's any out there, right? So now I have to create them. Well, I don't understand them. Oh, we, we try that, right? <laughs> yeah, Google and ChatGPT didn't come up with, with a whole lot for that. So. No, no. So I had to be like, oh, phone a friend. And I've got, I think, one of the best, you know, lifeline lists of phone a friends and you are on it. So um, yeah, so I encourage that. And I even did an episode, you know, uh, that was really inspired by one of your memes, you know, as far as doing due diligence, uh, when then, you know, looking at vendor selection. And I don't know, I think it's okay to be general and, you know, in saying, you know, there are some people on the vendor side that give the rest of them a bad name. And so, Hey, I want to try to, you know, would like to change that. But then also, Hey, on the merchant side, we also have to do our due diligence or, you know, the buyer side, right? Whether it's banking or whatever. We also have to do our due diligence and and select the right and be thoughtful and not take people's word for it. So I thought that was a really good, you know, thing and I appreciate it. So of course I'm going to be a fan and encourage you to continue it, but um, we'll let you. Uh, Stay tuned. Yes, absolutely. Well, kind of a right turn, but not totally. Cause I think it, you know, every part of this is is part of you, right? Like we have the tapestry of us and there's the tapestry of you being a father and there's a tapestry of you enjoying to make people laugh and feel seen through fraud memes. And then there's the tapestry of you've been, you know, I think you recently had an epiphany or realization that you've been, you know, anti-crime for 20 years. And that can be kind of a big Thing to realize like a milestone and uh, but that's taken on many different forms and I know that it also has caused you know you just kind of think back about your evolution as a fraud fighter and I really enjoyed the conversation we started to have on this topic and then I was like wait wait, wait let's save the rest for the podcast yeah yeah you know um I think last time I was on I, I just started working at CarMax and uh, as you start new jobs anywhere you, know, you get a million one-on-ones, right? You need to meet meet all the stakeholders, meet your team members, all that, and that's that's great. Uh, I love doing that. And I met someone a few months back, and I was telling them 
about myself and it's anti-money laundering, fraud, crime, bank, this, that. And I tell them all this and it's like, I need to figure out how to condense this into something that's, it's just kind of all over the place because I've done like a bunch of different things and I want people to see that, you know, it's, it's connected, that there is a common theme. And I just realized like, you know, I, I joined the military in 2003, so 20 years ago. A lot of the, obviously, I mean, the military is there to fight against, you know, protect the country, do all this stuff. But, you know, you, you, I won't get a little bit more into this, but um, fighting terrorism. You know, I was a, for a period of time in the military, I was a military police officer, so law enforcement. Um, I got out, went into AML. I did fraud management. I'm doing fraud still today. So really, you know, we, we think in, in banking, the, the fraud and AML compliance sides are sometimes combined into something called financial crimes. And it, I have seen that more and more like with vendors and talking about financial crimes when they cross merchant and banking, it's, it's more referred to as financial crimes. So, you know, how do I condense 20 years of, of something into like a single sentence? Well, I have been fighting crime for 20 years, whether that's terrorism, money laundering, fraud, whatever the case may be, uh, I've been doing the same thing. I've been uh, supporting the same themes in my career for 20 years now. And not only did that make my intro to people much more compact and concise, as you know, uh, I have ADHD as well. And I know you talked about that, but like, it's very difficult at times to be concise and if you might have listened to the first 20 minutes of this episode and say like, why is he now just realizing this? But it's, it's difficult to be concise and it's just kind of just, let me tell you literally everything that's ever happened in my life right? <laughs> or, well, or I want to tell you nothing. 100%. I know I always struggle with um, knowing how much detail is the right amount of detail. I, that's a challenge for me with clients too, because I want to dive into all the details, but like, you know, I'm talking to the CFO. Like he just wants to know the high level, right? And that's um, that's something that I continually struggle with. And I think, you know, I'm lucky that on the podcast anyway, with my deep dives, pe- the people who listen to the podcast usually want to hear the details. But yeah, I can 100% relate to that, right? Like wanting to be more concise, especially for people that aren't like us, right? Because we understand though, in fraud fighting, it is all about the details. The details are what what completely that's the only thing that can decipher you know a good from a bad or anything like that but you know how do we up level and go a little higher level uh depending on you know our audience and as i've moved forward in my career you know we're we're meeting with people that have less time you know you're you're getting fit into people's calendars uh they're at higher levels of the organization and i don't need to spend five ten minutes telling them who i am i need to quickly establish my credentials, uh, my bona fides, and then move into this is what we need to discuss, right? Get to the cut the fat. So that's the thing I did here with my, just with my intro, but I know that we're not talking, the, the, the point of this conversation is not to say like, hey, stop talking so much and condense your, your message. The point of this was like um, motivations, like what, what was my motivation to start in this field uh, and how has that um, kind of changed or evolved over time? And I think, um, you know, and so I joined the military in 2003, but um, you know, growing up in the Midwest, very patriotic area, growing up in a very religious household, you know, patriotism can be very next to godliness, <laughs> uh, it's very closely tied. And yeah, my family had for generations has served in the military. 
so it wasn't like, are you going to join the military? It was more, you know, which branch are you going to join? Or, uh, you know, what do you want to do in the military? So, and I wasn't forced by any means into it, but um, back in, I mean, this is very timely, uh, September 11th, 2001, uh, the anniversary of September 11th is coming up. It may have already come up. I don't know when this will air, <laughs> but uh, probably the day after. So um, on September 11th, 2001, I was between classes in high school. I think I was a sophomore and walking past the office, I saw one of the TVs on and I saw just a picture of buildings burning. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know. I'd never been to New York. You know, <laughs> people from the Midwest go to like Gatlinburg and Destin and the Outer Banks for vacation. We don't, we don't go to New York because we don't like the city folk. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't know what the Twin Towers were. Never been there. Never seen them. Never heard of them. Heard the word terrorism. Didn't know what that meant. It was a lot of things. It was just a very confusing time for, I mean, the, the country in general, but for me as a, as a young, you know, I think 15 year old kid to see this and say, what, what is going on? And I knew immediately, well, I, I, I felt angry. I think some of that anger may have been driven by my, my environment of people around me. And just, I mean, really the nation was angry, I think at that point in time, but I didn't understand what was going on. And it just, um, the way it was described to me or was, you know, these people from wherever they're from don't like us and they want to destroy our way of life. And it's a lot more nuanced than that, but that's, that's how it was described to me. And you know, as soon as I was old enough to sign that dotted line, I did. And the reason for that was because I wanted to stop the bad guys. I didn't want to just stop them. I wanted to hurt them. It was a, it was a deep emotional response. I'm kind of laughing here so I don't get too emotional, but you know, it was a deep emotional response. I wanted to do something. I wanted to stop the bad in the world. And it wasn't, it was in no way motivated by, I want to keep us safe or i want to you know keep our way of life to keep the american way of life keep the american citizens safe it was just i want to stop the bad guys i want to put a hurting on these guys it was retribution and you know as soon as i could i volunteered to go overseas and my unit crest had if anyone on this listening knows latin i will probably butcher this but it was um caveat opugnator it was uh it meant let the oppressor beware and that's what i felt i was like let the oppressor beware that andrew austin is coming to get up yeah. <laughs> that's also like the you know young man like you know 18 19 you know just uh, that's very similar to you know not only the time that you know the country that we're in was you know as a country feeling in in a lot of ways and in a lot of groups of people and um, areas, but also, you know, a lot of young men at that age, right, are full of anger and, and hormones and and just want to, you know, you might as well, in, it's almost like justified violence. Yeah, you put something like September 11th on top of a bunch of young guys that are already angry at the world about nothing, just, it's just how people at HR, and you send them over there, I mean, Nothing good is going to come out of that, right? So um, I volunteered to go over, was getting ready to go to Afghanistan, and I get a call saying, hey, we're going to Germany. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm still still going somewhere, right? I'm, I'm going overseas, but it wasn't the overseas that I was, was, was looking for. So, Well, as a mother, though, I can imagine yours was like, well, thank God. That's my mother more, was, yeah. yeah she, was, uh, she was a little bit uh, more accepting of that. And... So I, I spent some time in Germany. I uh, I did end up going to Iraq a couple of years later after that. But I mean, by that time, I was in my mid-20s and it wasn't really, the fire wasn't there anymore. 
it was hard to know. Yeah, it's hard to say. It just wasn't. It was there. It just wasn't as strong. It wasn't burning as bright. I hadn't. I wasn't throwing gasoline on it. Right. I. I uh, at that point in time, like I wasn't the one going out and kicking the doors down. I was mainly on base, running radar systems, and the only time I went off was to maintenance the radar. So I wasn't doing anything crazy, and that that switched my mindset a, a bit. In that, like my job was to protect the people on base. So it wasn't, and uh, the time I was there was uh, 2010, 2011. It was the drawdown. We were one of the last people out of country, and there weren't a whole lot of active missions going on at that point. So it was get everyone home safe. So that, that protecting the good in a way slightly changed my mindset. Yeah. So I, I still wanted to, you know, stop bad guys because uh, the, the system we ran was um, it's called C RAM. Stood for counter rocket artillery and mortar, um, and you might think like, why do you need that? Well, when we were uh, all the military bases um, in Iraq, Afghanistan, the insurgents, uh, whatever we want to call them, would shoot rockets, artillery, and mortars at us, and they would put them up on a ramp, put them on a timer, and shoot off a couple rockets at us in the middle of the night. Uh, so the system just detected when they would come in and would sound the alarm and hope people would get to a bunker in time. So there was still a little bit of, well, you know, if these guys are trying to kill us. Uh, I still want to stop them. And there was a lot of anger there, but it wasn't, it still wasn't like, you know, burning super bright. And, you know, I did uh, 12 years total in the army. And when I got out, I was, I guess I had this transition from the military to, to banking boots from boots to suits we'll call it we'll make a litter tip uh and i didn't know what i was doing i was like you know you you take someone you train them to do all these different things in the military <laughs> and you say all right we're gonna make you an it project manager <laughs> doesn't that sound fun <laughs> right the excitement is a little different but maybe you know safer but in a different way right yeah so when I went into that, I, I talked about this when I was on previously, but it was a, a rotational program. My first rotation was in project management. It was like, you're going to manage this uh, project to increase the introductory rate period on our platinum credit card. I was like, wow, my life has peaked. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the same as detecting, you know, artillery coming across, right? <laughs> it was, uh, but still, it was just dull. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a, you know, these things are important. I'm not, um, laying that down at all but you know it was coming you know the transition it was just it was dull it was lifeless it was depressing it was i, I was just in this state like why am i doing this like what what is motivating me to get up and i just i didn't have one and you know i had um positive feedback after that rotation which was great thanks i can manage a project <laughs> That's good. But, you know, how was what I was doing mattering in the world? And and finding that was, was really difficult. After that, I moved into a, a role with anti-money laundering and KYC, know your customer. And, and I talked about that again last time I was on, but it felt like there was something like maybe that fire started burning a little bit. Right. It had a little more purpose. It did. It did. I knew I was fighting terrorism. I was fighting organized crime in a new and different way. It wasn't you know, not kicking down doors and not dropping bombs on anyone, but I am able to have, I'm able to stop bad people from doing bad things. 
and even even if it's on the IT side, right? As in this IT leadership program, but like I'm still putting solutions in place that people use to detect and then investigate and blah blah blah. And in my mind, that motivation comes back to I'm fighting terrorism and organized crime. And that's what was motivating me. Well, and you were detecting threats, right? Like same as what you were doing on the front lines in the military. That's a very good observation because I hadn't really thought about it. That oh, really? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. <laughs> There's a through line. I feel like you know, and even though those threats looked very different, and the tools you used, and the impact of you know a threat was very different, uh, you learned how to look for the signs uh, before an attack happens, right? Before a threat happens in different ways, and I knowing the rest of your career journey i feel like that is a through line all the way through <laughs> it, it more than likely is i just didn't draw that parallel <laughs> but but yeah so I, I still felt you know i was still motivated by stopping the bad guy yeah i, I went from i mean these people didn't do anything money launderers I, I i don't know exactly who they are but i don't think that they did anything against me i don't know if the people in organized crime that we stopped using tools that i put in place did anything against me so it's not Maybe so not much a retribution right. not specifically right but it's not retribution anymore. It's stopping the bad guy. And I thought, you know, this is great. I'm finally doing something. It's having a real world impact. And you know, real world impact was a big thing. It's always been a big thing for me. I wanted wanted to do something that has a real, well, has a real world impact that has, um, we haven't got to this point yet in the story, but, you know, ultimately it comes down to like wanting to have a positive uh, effect on the world and affecting positive change. And I, I just hadn't, hadn't got to that point yet. In in 2019, I went to this conference. It was one of the. It was the last conference I went to pre-COVID. It was a, just a, a user forum for a large financial crime software company that had global customers. And went there. It wasn't huge. It was just a couple of days down in North Carolina. And between sessions, they were playing these videos, and it would start with why I fight fraud. And it would be someone at the conference that were recording videos there. They would just say, hey, please come to our booth and we're going to ask you, why do you fight fraud? And we'll record whatever you say, right? And it, it was just like, wow, I'd like to do that. <laughs> and I, I couldn't bring myself to like go and do it because I was like, well, I don't fight fraud. I'm fighting, you know, this is money laundering. I didn't at the time see that as like the same thing. I mean, even though I worked in a group that supported fraud and financial crimes like to me money laundering was money laundering fraud was fraud and i think there's there's still people that think that right but at the end of the day like you you are from cyber crime through you know military action it's just one big long timeline of fraud right because someone's got to hack the systems and get the data out and then you have to commit the fraud and then you have to launder the money that you defrauded from people that goes to finance terrorism or organized crime and then you've got the FBI or the military coming against you. So I didn't really think about it that way. But you know, when you you back up, uh, oh yeah, it's fraud. But it it just kind of struck me to the core when I was hearing some of these messages of, of people talking about how they have a um, a positive impact, and they were talking about um, not only stopping the bad, but supporting your you know your average joe that's out there your customers and users yeah to not have their credit card information stolen or not have their identity stolen and it was like it just it did not 
make sense to me at the time. I was like, well, yeah, we're helping good people, but we're stopping the bad people because that's what's important that we get the retribution to stop the bad people. Like that's, <laughs> that was still my motivation, right? I couldn't, I could not switch my mindset over at that point in time. Um, and it was, it was really interesting. Like, I mean, just looking back on, on how you evolve as a person, um, this is pre kids, pre wife, pre a lot of stuff, pre COVID, you know, all that has happened to me into my life, getting married, having kids going through COVID that has changed my outlook on what's important and what kind of impact that I want to have on the world. So from there, I stayed with, with the bank until about 2020, mid 2020, um, in the height of COVID, while my wife was pregnant, got laid off. I just finished a three and a half year project. Just implemented the system and get a ten o'clock at night, get a invite for eight a.m. the next morning with like you know someone high up in HR, and I'm like, oh well, I know where this is going, and got laid off, and I was devastated because I I know how it feels, and I've seen you know a lot of people get laid off recently, and them them posting on LinkedIn and trying to find jobs and networking and all this, and I I just had to say like keep at it, and if you need someone to talk to, please talk to them, talk to me, reach out to me, reach out to anyone, your friends, family, like I was in a dark spot. Like I had just, you know, at this point I'd been in fraud or crime fighting for 17 years. And it was like, everything was stripped away from me. Cause I mean, you, you work in a, in a field for so long, it's kind of, it becomes part of your identity. It's your motivation. You know, it's, it, it's your identity. And that was just stripped away from me. And I'm looking online, like, you know, luckily I had like, um, they weren't terrible people when they let us off. They, they gave us, I think it was like a month and a half, like on salary. Like you're still employed. You can come to work if you'd like, but your purpose is to find a job. Like you're, you're not expected to, to do anything other than find a job. Plus the summer's on top of that. So it's great. Um, but at that time I, I could not find, I was looking for jobs in AML. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't as remote friendly as it is now. Especially banking, right? That was when, I mean, the first several months of COVID, there were a lot of no banks trying to know. Well, yeah, not only were they not hiring, there were a lot of banks and organizations that were really struggling with how do we allow our people to work from home? You know, there was a lot of impacts of that in different ways and different, you know, ripple effects in different industries and all that. But so, yeah, I'd imagine and it, it was similar as now in the job market where it was harder to find things and there were a lot more people applying for the same role. Um, so it made it hard. So I'd imagine that it was a combination of coming to terms with losing your identity and that, you know, drive and that purpose of, you know, protect the wealth, it certainly was. You know, fighting the bad guys and, and detecting them and all that. But then also there was probably a lot of fear for the future because you you know, you and your wife were expecting your first child and, you know, you had imagined that the bank would, you know, be there and, and provide. And, oh, this was second child. Oh, this was <laughs> this second was, child. Yeah, oh, yeah, this that's right. That's two, yeah. So one's in, you know, one's in daycare. We've got another one on the way. You already know those expenses. That's even harder. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, luckily I found something It wasn't an AML or fraud. Um, I found a role at a, a digital lending startup 
basically as a, as in the in their product space for borrower servicing. I couldn't I can tell you like coming from like AML fraud background, like there's nothing worse than servicing. Like it's just <laughs> it's not exciting. It, I thought like I'm going to give this a good try. Like I need to obviously need to support my family, but um, I'm going to give this a try and, and not go into it like I hate it already. But um, I hated it pretty soon after I started. I had a job like yeah. that too that wasn't. I mean, it's not on my resume because it wasn't. I mean, it was a few months, but it was awful, and it was you know payments related because I I'm just as much you know in uh, versed in payments as I am in fraud and. But it was payments for a healthcare company. And oh my gosh, do they move slow? And the people there expect to work, you know, they know they're going to get a paycheck whether they do a job or not. So it's, you know, slow. And I'm just used, I was coming from, you know, Expedia, this super, you know, high paced tech <laughs> company of just, come on, don't we have to, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And similar, very similar, where that was when I realized. And I think sometimes we have to do that, right? A, to provide for our family and be, it can help in the grand scheme of things to really reiterate that you're where you're supposed to be, you know, because you may not know that unless you try to go outside of it. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And, you know, I, I felt pretty quickly that I was out of place. I mean, it wasn't a good fit for me at all, but, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't stopping the bad guys anymore. Like that was the thought. Like, right. yeah, the purpose uh, was, yeah. was. We had like one. It was a small company, so like we had one compliance guy, and I'm talking to him like, "Hey, what do you do about fraud for AML?" And he's like, "No, nah, not much." And I'm like, "Cool, <laughs> <laughs> good talk." But you know, it certainly put me back on that path to looking for something in in the fraud space. Um, and I had about eight months at that brief interlude before for moving back into to fraud and. You know, I, I felt felt great coming back in there. You know, because I'm stopping the bad guys. And you know, when you're on the on the vendor side, it's I don't know. I think that's the vendors kind of have to put that message out there of of we are stopping the fraud, right? Like you you want our solution because we can help you stop fraud. It's not necessarily, um, hey, here's these millions of good citizens out here that are waiting to have their identity stolen, we'll stop that from happening. It's no, we're going to stop the, you know, the loss the to your fraction company. of a percent right. that's going to try to defraud you. And I completely understand that. Like, that's what you have to do. Right. And it's a cost savings, you know, right. more than anything, right? It's the, the sell is, you know, the cost savings to the company because for card not present merchants, and in your case, you're working for, you know, a payment processor that also had a, fraud solution and you know they so that was their their goal right and that was how they were talking to merchants because it makes sense right we're gonna you know we recognize that you're losing money here so we're gonna help you save money by x um that was the proposition that's how those are sold it's not necessarily yeah we'll help you protect your customers or people that aren't your customers right who's yeah i don't, I don't and think it's a business with that no and it, i don't um, think you are it's just like it's a observation right it's the thing you have to tell the business in order for the business to understand the benefit to them. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, working there, I was, I was definitely getting the feeling that I was stopping more bad guys, but I think that's really when my mindset started to shift was like, is that really what I care about? Is, is it just stopping the bad guys? I don't think that's a problem. Like if that's your motivation, that's, um, that's perfectly fine. Well, cause the end result is similar, right? I mean, yes and no, but if the only motivation for being in fraud prevention is to stop bad guys, you're 
that's your job. That's what you're paid for, right? And that's, you still get the job done in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's plenty of people out there and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that mindset, um, but it just didn't feel right to me anymore. You know, I, I wanted to build something that would address like all of a company's problems, you know, be able to build something my own that like, you know, I've, I've been in this industry for so long now, what can I bring in, build, you know, in-house or bring in specialized vendors for different things and build something that I can call my own. Um, and I mean, there's obviously many, many others that help with that. It's not just Andrew Austin building everything, <laughs> not, not that arrogant. Um, but that's that's my mindset started to shift then. When I moved over to CarMax, I think this is when it really solidified that that shift was when I saw their focus on the customer and their desire to have an iconic customer experience. That really spoke to me. That, and I wasn't really sure immediately why, but you know, it really spoke to me. It's like, oh, you know, you you care. It's not just about stopping them, but it's about it's how you do it and not having a negative effect on the experience keep you know build that experience so it's good and make it better by reducing friction for the good ones and increasing friction for the bad ones well you have to know who the bad ones are (laughs) first right so what's the problem in the automotive industry it's uh largely synthetic id fraud and id theft and that is something like you know credit card fraud is, is difficult to really empathize with a with a customer that is a person i'm not talking about customer as a merchant but a customer is like the person that's holding the card because there's no liability there even even the, you know the, maybe it's a 50 dollars the bank may well never come after you for but there's really no liability so if i i could take all my credit cards and throw them out in the walmart parking lot and they get picked up and i've got no liability for that so if i'm stopping that fraud as a card fraud vendor you're helping the merchant which in the end helps people but you're not having that immediate impact when you're looking at id theft and synthetic id fraud well with with id theft i am helping an actual human from having their identity stolen and having to go through a ridiculous amount of work to repair that or with synthetic id where they use the often use the social security numbers of children i am preventing someone from finding out 15 years from now that their credit has been absolutely trashed by someone so it's much easier now and maybe it's just taken me 20 years to get to the place where i can understand this properly but it's much easier now for me to really see and appreciate the motivation of you are having a positive impact on people that's the motivator it's not stopping the bad guys it's not the retribution it's not anything else it's you're having a positive impact on the world and I want to let people know that work in this industry that you can have a positive impact on the world. And I, I know being like in the merchant space and you, you might just be like, well, I'm, I'm just in that card fraud mindset or it's just us. Well, yes, it is just that merchant, but that merchant provides jobs for people who support their families. You know, try to take it a little bit further, take your motivation a little bit further, do some self-exploration if that stopping the bad guys isn't enough for you. You just reminded me of... Uh something that a buddy of mine in fraud used to say, I'd be like, Oh, how is, you know, how are things going? Oh, just saving the world one video game at a time. <laughs> Cause uh, you know, he worked for um, a video game company and yeah, you can see it like that. And, and in a way you are right. And you, it's possible for multiple things to be true at the same time. It's possible for you to be saving your company money that they would have to, you know, lose if there were, for more fraud attempts and 
yeah, well, for you know the fraud attempts that get through, right, that aren't detected, you know, preventatively. But it's also true that you can, you know, be stopping those bad guys and making their day a little bit, you know, more of a pain um, at the same time. And then it can also be true that you are, you know, trying to help your good users not get tripped up by the tripwires and the landmines that you put up for the bad guys. And then it can also be true that you're helping potential victims not be victimized from fraud. And I think as you tell that story of, you know, your trajectory and kind of the evolution, to me, it's not that, you know, it's not that it was one or another. It was that you started to add additional purposes and reasons for your role as your role changed as well as you got older. I'm not too altruistic in thinking that my total motivation, total purpose is to just help good people. Right? Well, right. That's yeah. not it. That's not it. It is as, as fraud fighters, we need to stop that bad, but there are numerous reasons why it's, it's, it's assisting the company. It's the loss. It is the human element behind it. And, you know, some of my favorite episodes of fraudology that I've listened to is when you have people like uh, Ian Mitchell on that's talking about the human element. And uh, when he refers to things as human crime, it's, oh, uh, you can call it fraud. Yeah. But it, it, it dehumanizes everything. When you talk about things like human crime, it, it has a real world impact. You know, when I was talking to someone about this not too long ago about uh, pig butchering, which is a hot topic. And, you know, you, you get these these text messages or WhatsApp or wherever they come through. It says, hey, are we still on for lunch? Well, no, we're not, because I know you're in Cambodia in a call center scamming me. But I have, and someone was saying like, oh, this is how I respond to them. Like, oh, screw off scammer and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you hear stories about who these actual people are, it's- They're often victims too. Exactly. So if you are recruited into this thinking that you have a great job and then you're enslaved in this, I have a hard time like responding to them like at all. Because I, am I going to say something like, like if I say like, hey, I know the situation you're in and I'm sorry for you and I hope you can escape or is- someone above them going to see that and take retribution on them? Do I mess with them? Are they really scared? I don't know. The best answer is no answer, right? Like, yeah, I'm yeah, with you on that, right? That was, was that there is a human element behind this. That's how we got on this. There's a human element behind this and it has a real world impact on real humans. And something I've learned from my friend, Eric Bowles, who actually was the guest on last week's episode and came also last year, I think around June, is you know, he works primarily on and has led some really incredible investigations into you know who these people are, right? So, you know, for fraud teams that are primarily focused on just, you know, well, not just it's so important, right? But detecting that risk and keeping it off your platform. And in detecting that and stopping it, you're also, you know, preventing your company from a loss, you're preventing, you know, the bad guys from uh, profiting and funding whatever they are. But I think a lot of times for us, it's a boogeyman, right? Like we we think we know uh, where it's going, but we don't. Well, Eric has done so many investigations to actually find out who those people are. And in some cases, they've been rival street gangs in Chicago that, you know, on the streets, their people are killing each other. But then up above, they're funding that war by actually 
uh, participating in credit card fraud online together. In other cases, it's, you know, terrorism, it's war torn countries, it's, you know, really like drugs, it's, you know, so many different things that it's funding. And so, you know, when we think outside that, right, when we think about like, well, what, what are we stopping? What's the purpose? Then it can give us more purpose, but it also can help us have a little more appreciation for, you know, understanding that this is an ecosystem that we are a small part in, but an important part in and, you know, trying to do our best. But I really, I really like the fact that you're focusing on, you know, or at least you're including the focus, right, on helping and protecting, you know, helping to prevent a everyday person who's just living their life from finding out that now they can't buy a house or get a car or anything else because their credit's been ruined uh, because somebody got a car, you know. And and granted, I mean, though, unfortunately, oftentimes that identity may be used somewhere else, but it's harder for, you know, the bad guys to use the same identity when it's already been denied one place. So, you know, it's, I think it's just, I don't think it's about like, I mean, maybe a little bit from like the retribution piece, right? But I mean, I think our way of getting retribution is just to kind of ruin their day and make sure that they know they can't, you know, <laughs> can't do that here. They got to go somewhere else. Stopping that fraud ring. Right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's not like we're catching them necessarily, but we are stopping them and preventing them and, you know, wasting their time and their money, which is always our goal. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, loss prevention departments out there that would, <laughs> would beg to differ. They well, want to right. get involved in the stopping. <laughs> well, and that's, that's usually right. That's, I mean, that's on the, that's in store, right? Like online, we're a little bit more removed from it. So that's a little bit different, but um, yeah, I think it's a really good point to, realize that like we're not just you know protecting our our company's money we're not just doing this it's, it is a bigger purpose and i think that that can that can help but propel us and as far as you know once you've identified your purpose and your goals and your priorities i mean how has identifying those things you know identifying what your purposes or what your motivations are for fighting fraud throughout your career how has it helped you you know, select the last couple of roles? How is that or how might it change, you know, the next time? Yeah, I, I think the last couple of roles was was pretty clear. Like it was, you know, I want to keep in this space. I want to do something in money laundering, fraud, getting back into fraud after, after being laid off. Maybe that was selfish. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, it, it helped me find, it helped me find that role. And then as I came to more of the realization that it wasn't just about stopping bad guys, it was, it was the real world impact on people that helped me select this one. Cause you know, when, when they talked about the, the customer experience that they wanted to have, uh, it was just a, a clear sell. And I think, uh, going, going forward, my career it's um i don't know I'm, I'm only nine months into this role so i don't want to think well right yeah, you're not, yeah. I know, but i mean i guess what i mean by that is like you know when you're selecting a new employer or when you're selecting a new role at least for me i know i've had a similar but different journey of my own and identifying you know my own motivations and what i don't think it's selfish i think that it's a combination of wanting to use the skills that you're best at your superpowers, bringing it full circle, bringing your superpowers to the forefront, right? You're actually not doing anyone a good service if you're holding those back. Um, that's something I've had to learn, right? As much as I enjoy being on the front lines and, and I enjoyed being a manager, you know, in a, a fraud department and leading those people and, you know, can 
creating the strategy for one specific company, I learned over time that my superpower is you know, supporting others, right? And and being on the sidelines. And if I didn't lean into that superpower, right? Like there wouldn't have been phrology. And so that's been a struggle of my own that is so much longer than we could ever cover today. And <laughs> I've tried to hold myself back and self-sabotage more times than I can count. But that's it's just me using it as an example as for you when you recognize that your superpowers are, you know, fraud strategy and recognizing the things that help you detect a threat and bringing technology together as well as, you know, with people and then knowing that you don't just want to stop the bad guy, you also want to help the good guy. Like it creates these skills and experience that nobody else has. And then I think identifying that, knowing that helps you identify your next role and your next purpose because you'll look for something more clear. Absolutely. This past role that I that I started with uh, about nine months ago, it certainly helped with that. And I can see going forward, I mean, even in, in this role, um, it helps me kind of um, just identify what to push for and why. And it just really helps that my personal motivations really align with our company's goals uh, of, of stopping fraud and of having a positive customer experience. Um, so it really helps there. But, you know, stuff to say going forward. I mean, I think job postings are written kind of vaguely a lot of times. <laughs> um, but once you get in that interview, you know, I think uh, if you just let your passion th- show through. And own it, right? Don't be ashamed yeah. of that passion, right? You, you'll be able to see from the interviewers if it's going to be a good cultural fit, if it's going to be a good fit with with what you want to do. Because there aren't a whole lot of jobs that say like, this is, don't, don't spell out exactly what they want you to do. It's, it's all vague, right? But use your passion, display that passion, and tell people what motivates you right the values right yeah yeah get on linkedin and post about it talk about it talk to others network with others you know i I talk to there are there are connectors in this industry i think you're one of them there's there's a handful of others that i won't name drop but there's one that i'd speak with about once a month or so and every time i speak with them they are introducing me to three new people (laughs) it's just i get off the call with them and it's three emails get sent out within the next couple days of hey this is andrew austin I, I want you to be with him, blah, 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 right? So if those people know who they are, keep making those connections. If you're not one of those people, if you need those connections, reach out to whoever you can, build your network, talk about your passions. You know, I, I spent uh, a long time and early in my like professional career post-military of meeting with people, um, not even in fraud and just saying like, what motivates you? Like, What's that guiding force? Yeah. What, what, what is it? Because like, it, it was so odd to be coming out of the military of, you know, you have this mission Yeah, and you're all, all right. going towards the same thing to get out and say like, all right, well now you, you have, I have a, to create my own mission. Yeah. You have to create it for yourself. And I spoke to a lot of people about that. It, it I think I was just lost, right? And throughout talking to other people and throughout, you know, years of my career of, of, of interacting with others and discovering myself, uh, I kind of, I came to this place where I am now, right? But it takes time to get there. So um, I, I would strongly encourage folks that are unclear on this or um, are confused or early in their career, just need some guidance to to reach out to someone that's been here for a while. Reach out to me if you're on the buying side. Reach out to me. <laughs> that is if a fair the- request. I always, you know, I will absolutely put your you know link to your LinkedIn in the show notes as I always do for guests. But especially when I have people who are on the buying side, the merchant side, that you know, baggies side, whatever that is, I 
always say, you know, no solicitations, please. And then that way it at least gives, I know I can't stop anyone, but that at least gives those of you who get some of those things, the credence to just be like, I'm not going to answer. And, you know, everyone has to do their job, right? But going back to purpose, you know, for salespeople, right? You can, you can identify a lot. I know of several merchants who, you know, can, will often, I mean, whether it's merchants or banks or anything, when they're talking with solution providers, right? Wanting to know who they are, what their values are, you know, are, do we have similar purposes? And if the first, you know, thing that you do when you first reach out to someone is, is try to say, what's in it for me? Well, you're probably not going to align with my values because my values are to do things for other people. And, you know, so that's, you know, and not put myself first. So if you're putting yourself first in the first step, then, eh, and that's not always the case, but that's a start, right? And so I think having clarity, it's almost like having your own personal mission statement. And I do know that there are self-help gurus out there that say that, that swear by that. I'm not a self-help guru and I'm not somebody that swears by that, but it can work for some people, right? And your mission statement's going to change over time because you're going to change over time. And as you have a mission statement that can help you get clarity around the types of companies you want to work with, the types of people you want to hire, the types of people you want to work with, and all the way through. I, it's something that I've definitely gained clarity on too. And I think it's important, um, especially as we get older and you know start hitting that middle age uh mark which again i'm you're not there yet <laughs> much older. Oh, i feel much older than you especially because oh i don't know i was i mean i was in my 20s when you know when uh in 2001 but so i was a little older but um you know i think we start thinking about legacy right i mean so first we start thinking about like what have i done and i have to say too that there you know not everybody needs to have a mission statement or a purpose or feel like they have to have an impact in life in fact I sometimes envy those people. Um, and I know that we need that those people to make the world go round, right? I envy my friends who can just work a job, you know, care about the money. And then on the weekends, they have time to go to their lake cabin or go, you know, fun. For me, I'm so exhausted by the end because I've used my brain and, and my passion and I've exuded it so much that I just need to sleep or catch up with my family. Um, but I'm, you know, we need those people to go world to go around, you know, to make the world go around. But I do think that as fraud fighters, the majority of us, it's not everyone. Uh, you can usually identify the ones that aren't fairly quickly, but the majority of us need to have an impact, right? And yeah, we can call it selfish, but as long as we, but I don't think that's the case. I think in a way it's knowing what our purpose is and knowing what our gifts are so that we can then have the most value for the people that we work for, the companies we work for, as well as, you know, people that will never know, right? That we protected their credit card or their identity from being stolen on our site. Absolutely. Well put, Carice. Oh, thank you. Didn't mean to go on a monologue there, but um, <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing all that and sharing that journey. I know that as much as I like having guests on the podcast to talk about, you know, fraud trends and things like that. I also think it's just as important to, you know, talk about the science and study of the fraud fighter ourselves. And I know from, you know, having conversations with, you know, other fraudology listeners that many times when they hear someone that's similar to them talk about their journey and some of the epiphanies that they've had along the way, it kind of helps 
spur some of those for themselves. And I appreciate you sharing your vulnerability. <laughs> you know, I'll just, I'll just say this real quick. Like, uh, I thought like, let's say two, three years ago, like I thought I was just a, a nerd. Like, well, that I mean, we are. I'm the only one. Well, yes, we are. But <laughs> there's more of us out there. Right. I thought I was like the only one that really cared that much about this. And like, I'd, I'd look at those around me that are just doing a job and think like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> it's like, yes. well, maybe I'm just in the wrong spot. Right. Maybe I need to find somewhere that's that, that has more of these people. And like, um, I've talked to several of your guests, you know, offline, whether it's at conferences or uh, one-on-one through a Teams call or Zoom call, met with them and they all share that same passion. Right. And I, I talked to, um, who was it the other day? Haley Wyndham, who was on, um, big fan of Haley. Yeah, it has been a while. I know. Uh, I need to. Yeah, we actually were just talking about that. <laughs> Having her back, she was telling me like, "Oh, I'm so excited about this conference I'm going to because I'm going to meet this who we would consider like a fraud all star who does not consider themselves." I know exactly who you're talking to. She just like me, right? I don't consider myself an all star, and people ask me for a selfie, and I know this is happening to that other person who I'm having on the podcast in the next few weeks. I swear, but she was supposed. To- I'll believe it when I see it. I know. I know. I. Uh, that's a whole other story, but you know, and then unfortunately the conference was canceled because of the hurricane in Florida. But what I told her though, when I, when I reached out was that like, I wish I had my, my LinkedIn up in front of me, but like I sent her a message. I was like, you know, you are like, the uh you're just one of you're just a fraud nerd just like me (laughs) i just i love it because i could just uh you know she'll just send me a message out of the blue like um you know some random comment about ach fraud or or whatever like you know you don't just do that with your normal friends right right (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean i was i've had this similar conversation with several people recently uh vanit uh girl being one of them um who was on the podcast recently um we got to meet in person for the first time though. We've known each other for four or five years and she texted, I, I think she'll be fine at it. Uh, she texted me afterwards and said, you know, that her fiance, um, she saw her fiance after we had dinner and she said she was just so excited and like, wow, we could, you know, we had a shorthand and like, she got it right. She's been in my spot. And like, we, she's like, I just, whenever I talk to anyone in fraud, it's like, oh, I don't have to explain everything. They get it. And you know, we can also, you know, just talk nerdy, right? We can talk about orchestration at two o'clock in the morning and it's not weird. And uh, I mean, it is, but it's not to us. And she said her fiance was like, you've never been so excited after having dinner with me. <laughs> she said, well, you don't work in rock. But it's similar, right? And I think that we need to have other people on our list. But I actually feel closest in a lot of ways to my fraud friends more than the other people in my life that don't get it. Um, and I don't think that's just because I think about it quite often, but I think it's also because we have so much in common, right? And that's something I see as a real benefit of technology over the last 10 years is being able to find your people, right? Through this podcast, through, you know, LinkedIn and, you know, the people we're all connected to through conferences, through, you know, different things like that, being able to find your people and not feel like you're the only one because I know what it's like to be the fraud manager for an online company and have everyone else look at you like, wow. In fact, I remember working with a client a few years ago. I might have shared this on another podcast episode, but this just sums it up. I think, um, when I was sharing a presentation of the fraud assessment I've done for their company and here's what we can do and da, 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 and you know all these things. And I'm talking about the impact to their customers and knowing that they have a big brand and all those things. And the project manager, or well, she actually was the head of e-commerce, I guess, um, looked at me and said, wow, you really like your job. And I was like, and she said <laughs> it like as if it was, or 
She said, wow, you really like what you do. Like she said it like it was weird. Like it was a bad Most people thing. don't have that kind of passion. No. And here she was probably making two, three times as much as I do as a consultant. But like, she was just like, wow, it was not a compliment. It was like a, like observing someone at the zoo. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> they do interesting. But I, and I remember thinking like, is that bad? Like, is that that weird that you said it that way? But I just think we have to, you know, I think it comes with clarity and comes with, you know, identifying what lights us up, you know, and, and yes, it's fraud, but then within that, right? Is it strategy? Is it leading people? Is it, you know, this, is it that? And then what type of company do we want to work for? And when all of us are, you know, in our zone of genius as Gay Hendricks, the author of The Big Leap that I highly recommend for anyone in, you know, um, trying to figure out where they're going, you know, calls it your zone of genius, right? Find out what that zone of genius is and try to follow it and good things follow. So yeah, don't stop at, um, you know, having a positive impact, right? Take that on to say, what does that actually mean mm-hmm. in my role? Yeah. Right. If all yeah. you stop is like, oh, I want to have a positive impact. Well, okay, great. What are you <laughs> going to do about that? Build that out. Right. Build that out and, and make that uh, pertinent to your specific role. Is that through technology? Is that, to your point, through strategy, building a team? What is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think having that focus of you know the end user as well as the potential victims is another way of doing that, right? How does what you do impact them, whether they know it or not? And that just adds a little bit more because we, you and I both know that as much as we love this industry, like it has its faults, but even more so most other people outside of it, like that, you know, person that worked for my client at the time, don't get it. Right. And they look at us like we're weird and we're crazy. And, you know, at least having that clarity around what we do and why can really help us also feel fulfilled and not as crazy, right? Go, you know what, this is what I want out of this job, you know, or it's for my next job or whatever that is, right? And I'm okay with that. I don't need you to think it's cool or I don't really care if you think it's weird that I like what I do. I'm going to do it because this is my purpose. It's not to, you know, I don't know, be considered the cool kid or something like that. Because we know it's unappreciated, right? So I'm not going to try to say it's not, but that, but knowing that you have a purpose and, a, and an impact and, you know, you've had this evolution can help you not care as much, I guess, that, you know, things aren't as appreciated. That's, I guess, what I meant. Well, Andrew, I'm not surprised that this has, uh, you know, been a full hour and I am uh, so grateful to you for not only sharing, you know, your evolution and being vulnerable about the lessons you learned along the way in 20 years of anti-crime and kind of how each role informed the next one. Uh, I'm also very grateful for your service uh, to you know, the country as well as just all the sacrifices that came with that and everything else. And I'm grateful to call you my fraud friend. So uh, we'll end on a very nerdy note because that's who we are. Uh, but I do appreciate it much, uh, so much, uh, this conversation, as well as you know, having you as a fraud lifeline, not just for memes, but uh, <laughs> as somebody who has ADHD and fraud and all the other things we connect on. Yes. Thank you very much for having me, Carice. You can call me anytime for memes, mental health, uh, <laughs> purpose. <I don't> <laughs> miscellaneous yes all those things 
I appreciate it. Well, thanks again for stopping by. And I uh, look forward to speaking with you in several more months and see what's going on then. Sounds great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.